Here, welcome to the team. Uh, it's going to be a shit fight. Here we go. Welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast. We're the podcast that covers the ups, the downs, and the complete head fuck moments in the business world. With me today is producer G. Happy New Year, G. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here again. First podcast of the year. I know. First podcast of the year. And do you know what? I am so excited. Do you know why, G? Why? We're sitting in our studio, a real live living studio with an audio guy and all, and all of this recording equipment. I keep wanting to touch these buttons. <laughs> Don't touch anything. I, I just said before, I feel like we're going to have to edit out a shit ton more stuff now that we're here because everything's so exciting and new, but that's okay. We'll get through it. It's okay. But I feel like pending approvals growing up almost with a, you know, recording man and all. A little bit. Yeah. I guess we, we need to say a name. We can't have recording man. There can't just be, <laughs> there needs to be a name to bring in this. What are we going to call you recording guy? You can just call me Pat. Pat. Pat, the audio guy. Pat is going to be all over us now. Pat, our audio guy, has no idea what he signed himself up for, but that's okay. We'll get through. Okay. What did you do over the break, G, just quickly? Over the break, uh, nothing really. Did, did my house, kept working. What else is there really for you to do on a break in the pandemic? Yeah, I know, but it wasn't just that. It was that it was raining and it was overcast. And is it really sick of me? I was secretly excited because I was meant to be going away with my husband. And I actually just stayed at home working and clearing things up. He got really upset with me, but I actually really enjoyed it. So I thought it was kind of hilarious, really. Honestly, I feel like it's the best possible thing to do across this like holiday. Yeah. Just do nothing. Enough about the banter. Now, we've got a guest today, G, our very own Lee Davis from the Media Precinct is joining us. Lee is the head of digital performance media at the Media Precinct. I guess today we're going to be thinking about all things numbers and digital, which isn't my bag, but that's okay. That's why we've got him here. Lee, welcome to Pending Approval. I just love the way with digital we're able to really dig in deep into the performance side of things. It's not really, like G said, it's not really her thing. But Lee, how long have we been working together now? Hi guys. Firstly, thanks for having me and particularly in this flashy new studio of yours. Nice of you to save it for me. Just um, for you, Lee. We're just here for you. That's it. I've been here a while now, so nearly seven years, Glenda, since I first walked through those doors. God, you need a medal. I need two. In fact, maybe one for every year <laughs> at least. Um, yeah, it's a long time, but um, it's been fun. What did you do when you first joined GW though? Like you haven't always worked in digital, so I'm always interested in how people got to where they are because from what I understand where you started to head of digital is a pretty big leap. Yeah, so I started off my media career um, back in London in the UK. So first gig working for a direct response agency over there, which was really cool. And then when I moved to Australia, I started working with Glenda and the team. Uh, we were working on a big retail TV account, um, which was really interesting. It was hard, um, a really big learning curve for me as well. And at the beginning, I remember Glenda said to me, it will be a baptism by fire, but you'll be okay. So I think... <laughs> Sounds like her. Yeah, sitting here seven years later, I think I did all right. I actually think I sounded quite wise. Yeah, well... There you go. Sure. <laughs> it's something I use today when we onboard new staff anyway, so... <laughs> Here, welcome to the team. Uh, it's going to be a shit fight. Here we go. 
Yeah, but look, it was a really good experience for me. And I think coming from the UK where um, the market isn't as fragmented as, as it is over here, um, I had to learn a lot very quickly as well. And then I guess the structure of the agency um, meant that I was exposed to a little bit of digital video right at the time when it really started to take off um, in Australia with channels like, you know, Vivo to our catch up and obviously across social too. That um, initial transition, again, wasn't easy, um, coming to grips with a whole new world of platforms and trading metrics and the constant industry challenges that are thrown at you all the time. But it did come with a ton of data and the ability to make these real-time decisions, which was something that I really relished. And when I look at it, you know, coming back from a, a linear TV background where the data is delayed, limited in supply as well, like it's very hard for you to actually react to these, you know, behavior patterns, what you're seeing online um, and everything. So that was one of the real advantages for me. And I actually believe that your direct response background had a big advantage for you as well, because you were used to actually having to take numbers and things like that. And you look at that digital world, it's all about the numbers and optimizations and things. So you did, you were able to transfer some of your skills into this uh, new world for you. Yeah, look, I've always been a fan of data, a bit of a data nerd at heart. I try and hide it as much as I can, but the reality is that if there's you know a genuine insight that we can pull out of data, that's what I actually enjoy doing. So is that why you moved into digital originally? I don't think it's why, but I think it really helped that transition. And then once I was exposed to digital, it's something that I really, you know, I was really interested in. It. I spent a lot of time learning off my own back, you know, researching new things. And I felt like that because it's so fast paced, it's progressive, kind of aligned with, you know, with, with me and my strengths and what I wanted to do in my career. Cool. And I know that digital video is something that you're really focused on. Can you tell us a little bit about how you developed that platform in-house and kind of, you know, what we've done as an agency to move forward in that space? Yep. So um, very much in line, you know, with that demand for video at the time, one of the key things was that we brought in our programmatic trading desk, um, so in-housing that, which opened up a lot more media channels and a lot more video channels as well for us. So lots more opportunities for us as an agency, but also for our clients. And that's been an area well, an area of huge growth for us, I'd say, over the last you know four years or so. And then from there, you know, it really took off. You know, fast forward a few years, we've got a full service um, digital offering to be you know, that we're all really proud of. And on a personal note, I think to be part of that journey from the, the near start to, to where we are now, you know, I'm really grateful for that. It's been an awesome opportunity as well. And I've learned so much along the way. Amazing. Do you reckon your TV knowledge will come back around in the future, like with everything that's going on in the transitioning space of TV and digital? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it's something that as the wheels are, are in motion as such, we've seen that you know, the pickup with Catch Up TV, our BVOD activity, how that's, you know, taken so much audience away from our linear TV and the way that we're actually trading um, media now programmatically. It's only really a matter of time before a lot of those offline media channels come into play in the programmatic space too. We're already seeing programmatic, um, you know, out of home as well. So, and radio, it's all gonna, it's all gonna start coming. So I think my prior experience is, is gonna be really valuable again. Mm. Lee, many of our listeners don't really know the difference between performance media and normal digital advertising. Like sometimes I get confused even. So can you explain to our listeners what performance media in the digital world actually is? 
for us, performance media is all, it's results, really. It's all about results, um, you know, whether that be a lead, a purchase, it can be a sign-up or, or even like a, an on-site engagement. But the, the important thing here is that we need to be able to attribute that back, you know, to, to everything, basically. So what channel it came from, what platform, what placements, creatives, um, and so on. You know, there's so many rich data sets out there that we can actually start to attribute these actions back. But performance is all about literally just performance, you know, and we can only really make optimizations and improve performance if we've got that um, knowledge and data. But what does that mean? Does that mean like it's a digital ad in display or is it social media or what is it, content seeding? What, what is actually performance in lay terms for the average person like me that makes things up? So it's mid-funnel, low-funnel activity. Um, so things like search, we've got social in there, which is now a really strong performance channel. Display, not really for us, Georgia. Oh, don't hate on my awareness channels, all right? We, everyone needs an awareness layer. You can't just be all performance all the time. No, look, we love your dynamic creative um, oh, too. You can keep that. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's basically clickable media and what people are coming through to the website. So then again, we can start ripping apart what's happening and actually, um, you know, shift performance accordingly. Ripping apart my creative, more like it. Yeah. So you know how I love to uh, throw you in the deep end when we're in the middle of a meeting and I say all these things and I promise all these things that we can possibly do or a client asks me a question, I just make up the answer. Yeah. Well, it feels like I make up the answer, but I don't no, really. You do. Well, you do. You definitely well, do. Well, no, I promise things. I promise, I promise. I know I promise things sometimes, and then I look at Lee to just make it happen with his team, and he does, all due respect. He's very, very good at, at doing that. But, Lee, I'm going to fire you um, some questions at you right now so that you can actually come at me and set everything straight. So I had a client ask me yesterday about privacy and all this talk around Apple and Facebook. What's the gist with that? Okay, so I'm assuming we're talking about the iOS 14 rollout. I'm assuming we are too. Right, I feel cool. like we should be Googling this, but welcome to uh, welcome to Google, Lee. So basically, we've got Apple um, who have been on that privacy bandwagon for quite a few years now. Um, they're now back causing a bit of a stir in the market with their latest operating release, um, operating system release, so iOS 14. Basically, this is just going to prompt users for their permission if they want to be tracked across other companies' apps and websites. Can I just say that I actually really like this? Like, I like that Google doesn't know where I am when I'm getting a map somewhere. Like, coming here today, I like that Google doesn't know that I'm on the way here, unless I'm using the app. All right, well, this update's for you. <laughs> um, look, so, you know, it might not sound like a, a big deal, but the reality is that it's going to actually impact Facebook's third-party data collection and it will effectively reduce their um, targeting on their platform. Yeah, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah, but, but it's interesting. But I actually believe that human habits will actually overtake that. So while G sits over there and she says, look, I'm, I'm turning off my app at the moment and I don't want Google or Facebook to know where I am right now, when she wants to take that photograph of that meal that she's just eat, you're about to eat, and Fuck, I sound like such a basic bitch. <laughs> so basic. That's I don't have to turn true. it on though, because I can just tag it, right? Like, but but you will. It doesn't and have to know will. where I am. I can just tag it. You could, but some people won't. Some people will want to. You could be lazy the, and just want to do the where they find, are. find where I am. And so I think that will come into play, don't you, Lee? Yeah, I think it absolutely will. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people get really hung up about data and you know how it's collected and how it's used, but 
not many people actually do do anything about it um, either. Right. So I think also the reality is people don't understand our intentions behind the captured data. You know, it's not like we're intending to follow them around the internet forever. We just want to serve you a few iconic ads and then, you know, make you buy the dress. It's not like we're saying we're trying to influence who you're going to vote for or like I'm sure there's lots of people. Well, we do sometimes. <laughs> so, That's you know, you, some me. of our clients. But you know what I mean? Like it's not like we have ill intentions with the capture of our data anyway from an advertising perspective. I know there are powers that be elsewhere that do use that data for bad yeah look um, you know we're not collecting names and addresses mm. either um if you're a cookie or you're a, a you know a facebook id or five eight seven three point seven four that's it <laughs> you know like there's there's got to be an exchange as well i think you know we're going to talk about user experience and trying to take my advertising hat off for one minute i personally would much prefer an advertising experience that's relevant to me mm. like i don't want to be served ads for something I'm really not interested in. I'd much rather go on, jump on my newsfeed and, you know, be served ads that are actually relevant um, to me. And then I can continue to to buy random Facebook products. Crap. Yeah, crap. <laughs> I got, I've been caught out a few times with some of those random products. But anyway, how about move those, on. How about those pencils that you bought us for Christmas last year? I bought pencils pre-Christmas. Only thing I bought online, I bought them two months out and they didn't arrive until a month after Christmas. Like, how bad's that? So anyway, that's we'll move on. It goes down with the one piece that I bought that looked like Borat's bad green mankini. So I won't even. I know, I know. It's too much information. We just won't even go there. Lee's scarred for life now. But Lee, we also hear a lot about ad fraud. So what's that? And and how do we kind of stop it? So ad fraud is basically invalid traffic. Again, it's been another one of those industry challenges over the past few years. Um, Again, from our point of view and also our, our clients and our brands, Nothing good ever came out of serving ads to, to bots, you know. So we need to make sure that we've got the right tech and partnerships in place, um, of which we do. Um, so we're working with a couple of third-party integrations which help keep our brands safe, you know, that we do work with. Um, and the reality is that, you know, there's more and more money in, in this whole ad fraud scheme now and everything. So, you know, the systems that they use are becoming a lot more sophisticated and they're not going to go any away anytime soon, so... Yeah, no, I do see some really um, terrible things happening in in that digital world if you're not protected. How do you actually find out, like this is a genuine question, how do you find out that they're fraudulent users that are viewing the ad? Because I've heard of like basements filled with thousands of computers and they're just programmed to click on different websites and all that sort of thing. Like how do you know that it's not actually a user? A lot of it comes down to behavior. And I think probably the best example is if I told you to open up your laptop and move from left to right across the screen, you're not going to go in a straight line, like a straight pixel line or anything. Um, bots move move in that manner. Um, so that's an easy way that it's detected as well. Right. God, you sound so knowledgeable. God, I feel really dumb right now, the creative girl in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so... I also have got another question because I am very, very guilty of this. I love the way that I can build these really complex targeting audiences that I want to target and I want to communicate uh, with on behalf of our clients. 
Do you sometimes feel like someone like me goes into too much detail when I set up all these different segments? <laughs> uh, like, I want you to be upfront with me, but I actually love the fact that I can actually get these results and I can see that, you know, a certain audiences are reacting in different ways on Instagram from what they look like in Snapchat or they look like in Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever it is that we're using at the time. I love all of that. And so... Do you love it as much as I do? Short answer, no. <laughs> I mean, some of the footprints I build are over 2,000. You know, over 2,000 footprints, I give these guys and I tell them, you know, can you help me? And they go, oh, my God. And it know. takes them days to I set can up see one their faces. campaign. <laughs> yeah, look, I think when you say sometimes, that's the wrong word. You know, I think you've got to look at our faces <laughs> when you deliver those media plans to us and, and the team. You know, we're constantly like, oh, fuck, what's this? what's she doing now but it works yeah look and I think you know it's not frustrating that's not the right word um as it is you know like when we do get to see these target audiences like it's a it's a real challenge for us as well because it's not always that straightforward to actually you know hit a demo and that's who we want to speak to and here's the creative so the you know the level of detail that you go into is is huge basically but again I think that really plays to our strengths as well because we'll always find a way of actually targeting that audience. And then again, with the data that we collect, we can actually see um, if there's a genuine impact with these different audience groups as well. So yes, you are absolutely a pain in the ass, um, but I think it's for the, you know, for the best with our campaigns. I, I do too for the nature of the clients that we have. Um, for our listeners, we work with a lot of uh, what I call disruption clients. So they might be trade unions, political organisations, things like that. The not-for-profit sector, health sectors, and even our retailers, they tend to be alternative, I'll call them, retailers from the from big ones. So, you know, a lot of the audiences we're talking to are quite complex. It's actually interesting that you say that though, Lee, because oftentimes when I'm developing my creative, I say to you, we're targeting by this tone of voice or we're targeting by creative set. How does that work from your end when you have all of these different like targeting points that Glenda puts in as well? Like, I, I just want to get some context, right? Because I'm going to sit there and continue to say, my beautiful creative needs to go to this type of person and this is the kind of tone that we want them to feel and, you know, all the wish-washy shit that I talk to. Um, so how does it work on your end? We we need to have a lot of structure around what we do. Oh, no, um, I hate structure. Yeah, so to house, um, you know, your lovely ideas, we need to have a lot of structure um, around it, you know, the way that we set things up. We've, we're talking like tone of voice as well. We've got within social we can start looking at our, our ad copy tweaking that looking at the performance of that and then tweaking it again and how does you know a b testing a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. as well um you know setting up different audience groups is is one thing and then obviously we've got that creative tone of voice too so it's really combining the two and then actually looking at that data what's happening you know let's make some recommendations let's change this let's test this um, so there's lots of different ways that we do it, but in order to do that, we need to be very structured around the way that we set our campaigns up because, you know, we can end up literally having hundreds and hundreds of ads just for one single campaign. It's not just a turn on, turn off Facebook um, approach, which I think a lot of people think, I'm not looking at you guys, <laughs> but you know, like if you've got all those different audiences and everything, we need to, we need to set that up. Cool. 
So Lee, dumb question time. I'm a great promoter of this long form content uh, for many of our clients because I talked just a bit before just about how complex they can be and I don't believe they can get across their full communication in a 30 or a 15 second ad. So, you know, that health and disruption and not-for-profit sector is a big thing. So is it true that short-form video works better than online and long-form? I think it totally depends on the campaign, to be honest. So the audience that we're trying to speak to, you know, and long-form and short-form creatives work very well together. Um, So a combination of that is always really, really good for us. That's what we like to see. Um, as traders as well come through it gives us other things to optimize towards that's what I like to hear as a creative as well show me the money (laughs) well show me the performance is what I like (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it totally depends on the campaign I think and the audience that we're trying to reach I think it's fair to say as well that a, a mixture of creatives short form long form can actually work really well together most importantly you know we really need to play to the strengths of the actual platform too Um, So we might need like a shorter creative that really helps to reel that audience in. Um, But then once we've got them, you know, the longer form creatives, while our completion rates might bomb, you know, the the power of actually having a much smaller audience, but who are really engaged and watching, you know, one minute, two minute videos. um, I think there's a, you know, a lot to be said for that engaged audience. We've definitely found it, particularly with our health clients and our, the clients that sort of sit across that disruption and uh, not-for-profit sectors. And like you talk about value with those clients um, that have those smaller but more engaged audiences. What kind of value are you seeing as the outcome of people watching those full videos? It could be anything, to be honest. I think even there's a lot of value in somebody watching a two-minute, three-minute video all the way through to the end because that's a long time. And if, particularly if we're going to look at the likes of Facebook, like watching a video for three minutes and ad as well, that's, that's a really long time, you know. And then we can even look to start pulling audiences of those people who have completed a certain duration of the ad as well and then start remarketing to them with more long-form content. Um, I think, you know, the case that Glenn is referring to um, within the medical space as well, we can actually see what's happening again on the website or it might be an increase in you know, procedures and so on. So there's a lot more to it than you know, just people watching videos. But I think if you need to, I would sacrifice completion rate and you know, focus on those key engagements of a smaller audience. But that particular client, we've really been able to test that content too, which is you know, going into G's world. Yeah. You know, we've been able to take that long-form content. We've been able to look at trial markets and actually see a 13.5% growth rate compared to the rest of the population when we've used that longer-form content in the likes of BVOD or Catch-Up TV for people and you know, AVOD and and really layered it up. We've taken it even outside of social and it's still worked. It's it's worked even stronger than when it's just on its own. So to your point, if you've got a really engaged audience, it, it can really work for a client. Yeah. I think the cool part about that from my perspective is like the level of collaboration that we've been able to have because your team being able to say to me, hey, look, this ad's not working. Can we swip the CTA around to the start? Or, you know, can we change the copy on this video? Even really little things like where the logo placement is. All those things are really valuable from a creative standpoint because it means that we're not going in there and putting our fingers in the air and saying we think this will work. It's taking that information from past campaigns and saying, well, within the health sector, we know that this works. 
So that's been a really awesome part about working here. And I think that it's very different from working at a global agency even because my experience is that you go in, you do the creative, you hand it to the media team, and then no one shares that kind of information or those insights or those learnings. So yeah, it's been really great. Speaking about my area, because I want to make this all about me, uh, dynamic creative is something that I also look after. It's the bane of my existence, but I do love it. And I find that we learn a lot from the optimizations and performance of creative messaging um, and impact on results. So how do you think that works from your perspective? Like how do, how do you turn the ads on? How do you know what is working? Um, how do you know when something just isn't right for this audience? So other than referencing your ridiculous spreadsheets that you send over <laughs> for your dynamic creative optimization, um, you know, I there's love a lot of feed sheets. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of data that comes out of that. You know, if we can look at even things like the color of the call to action button, uh, you know, AB test that out and everything. Um, and one thing I think we're really good at is, is working together on that kind of stuff as well. Look so at us being all cute. I know. Wow. Stop it. <laughs> I've done far much. <laughs> you're just jealous no I think basically what comes out of dynamic creative as well is there's so much insight in there and at first it was a bit overwhelming I think for us as well getting used to that you know new platforms new reporting and everything it's too much yeah but um you know I think now we're in a we're in a good space with it and we can actually really leverage a lot of the the data and the insights that come out of it and then obviously working together you know, we can give you some recommendations, you can implement them, and then, you know, we're back up and running in the space of a few minutes. Mm. Yeah, I said to a client, I, you were in the session with me, I said to him, I just don't know why clients keep buying this product, because I fucking hate it, but every client loves it. Like, Dynamic is every client's favorite thing, because they know exactly what's working, exactly the reason why it's working, what assets are going to be working best for them across different platforms, um, but I just want it to stop, really. But they can, <laughs> a, to go. they can A-B test so easily. They can bring in, like during COVID-19, it was the perfect time for advertisers to dial up and dial down particular um, messaging. And I just think that's what Dynamic gives you, that you can't get through um, traditional digital campaigns. Do you know what I mean? If you were just producing static assets. Or yeah, I mean, you can look at it as well from a cost point of view. Why pay for a new suite of banners every time you've got a new campaign out? Let's you know, let's use DCO as well, and then suddenly you know it's a one-off cost, and then you've got your management fees and everything on top. But at the mm. end of the day, it's going to come out a lot cheaper than producing that. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, from a non-creative person's perspective, because I know my opinion on this, what's your opinion on video versus animation or image? Because oftentimes I see clients asking for standard image and text ads um, or static banners or things like that. So, why do you think they ask for those options rather than things like video? Look, I think similar to, you know, when Glenna was talking about long-form and short-form creatives, again, if you've got a static or you've got a video it can really depend. Like just because you've got video doesn't mean to say that your performance is going to be 10 times as good. You know, we've run several campaigns where we've got videos and images and images will outperform that. I think it's going to come down to the audience, the message as well. And, you know, with platforms like Facebook, for example, that message has got to be up the front. Otherwise, if you haven't got those completion rates, people aren't actually going to know what your, what your product or your service is. Whereas if you've got an image ad, you've got to get that in one image and the chances are that you will. Mm. So, um, 
it's interesting because when video did take off a few years ago, everyone was all like, video, video, give me more video. And then we started seeing a lot more portrait video come into market as well. Um, but now there seems to be a little bit of a, a swing where there's there's video, but there's also image alongside it too. Yeah, I think from a creative standpoint, just to get my opinion in there, it's always good to have things layered up. So like different campaigns that have layered messaging. If you've just got a video, it's not going to do as well as if you have a video and an image ad and then, you know, somewhere that you retarget them towards like a website or a landing page or wherever it is that gives them the more information because people ultimately want to know what they're consuming. And if they can't watch a whole video, then you're right, that static ad is perfect for them. It's been really good to chat with you today, Lee. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have. Audio guy Pat's kicking us out now. Lee, it is a pleasure to have you in the studio. And I actually get to say that, Lee, again. Studio, in a real studio with Pat, audio man. She's too excited about this. We're going to see you back in the office. I am going to be excited about this. I'm going to tell everybody. And gee, I hope that some of our uh, listeners actually understand performance uh, digital media, I think. Lee, you just told me that he would have been a teacher in another life once. He he shared a story about me telling him something. He's told me something. So he said if he didn't get into advertising, he'd be a teacher. And I actually feel like he's been very patient with us today in the way he explained uh, performance media and what's going on in that world. I feel like everyone needs patience around you, but that's okay. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact regarding any questions you may have around digital advertising, you can get in touch with our very own RT, Richard Turner, who will sort out your time to meet with Lee, myself, or Glenda. Don't ask me if you've got any digital questions. That's not the right person. Um, But we'll put his details in our bio for today's podcast. (laughs) 